0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu.
1: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Anna Sale. If you, like me, are a lover of television, you know that Emmy nominations came out earlier this month. So today we wanted to share this powerful interview with Coleman Domingo, who's nominated for his work on HBO's Euphoria. Coleman talked about his family, his art, and so much more with our friends at The Limits with Jay Williams, another podcast from NPR. We hope you enjoy it.
2: And I want to create, and no one can tell you not to create. No one can tell you not to create. So just create the thing and don't wait.
3: Welcome to The Limits, I'm Jay Williams, and that was some wise advice to all young creatives out there from my guest today, Coleman Domingo. You see, in basketball, we call this greatness a triple threat. These are people that can shoot, pass, and dribble with ease, and you know that as soon as they walk on the court, you're going to see some magic. Well, Coleman is a triple threat of Hollywood, whether as an actor on the big or small screen, a star on the stage, or a producer and filmmaker, his presence is an insurance of that same kind of magic. He just received an Emmy nomination for his role as Ali on HBO's Euphoria.
2: You gotta believe in the poetry, the value of two people sitting in a diner on Christmas Eve,
3: talking about life, addiction, loss. He's currently touring an animated short film called New Moon that was based on his own one-man play, and he just rapped shooting a role on an upcoming film adaptation of The Color Purple, the musical. He's no stranger to important projects about the history of African American lives and legacies. He's been in Ava DuVernay's Selma. We built the path
2: as we came, rock by rock.
3: Steven Spielberg's Lincoln.
2: The ones of us that didn't die that day. We joined it with the 116th U.S. College, sir, from Camp Nelson, Kentucky. What's your name, soldier? Private. Harold Green,
3: sir. And 42 about Jackie Robinson. He's got a first-look deal for projects he's developing with AMC Studios, and he owns and runs his own production company with his husband, Raul. I'm telling you, this man's range is all-time. And the amazing thing? None of this has gone to Coleman's head. Instead, He's a guy who's all about making beautiful art, telling stories about his beautiful family, his West Philly upbringing, and using that art to make a better world for everyone. What I didn't know before this interview was that the art of being a good human may be his actual biggest talent. It's actually the magic that makes him tick. We'll get into all that and more. Here's my conversation with the great Coleman Domingo. First off, my brother, I want to say congratulations. Uh, it, it's incredible to see you get an Emmy nomination for your role in Euphoria. It, it, it seems like you focus on making art and it's just not the awards, but it has to feel nice to be recognized, huh?
2: Yeah, Jay, it does. It does. I mean, I've, I've been nominated for things, and, and I, but I think the things that are important to me, sometimes I feel like they go by the, the acknowledgement, may go by the wayside or the amplification of it, but I do know the impact of it. And that's what I think I've become mm-hmm. even more committed to and connected to is the impact of what I'm doing uh, and staying with my nose to the grind and doing the work. I feel like that's always been the most fulfilling thing. I had a, I had a conversation with uh, Denzel Washington some years ago when we were shooting Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He was a producer of He says, you know, Coleman, you know, for years, I, I thought it was about the awards, but it's not. It's, it's about the rewards you Mm. see the impact that it's making that's even more important. The awards will have to catch up. And that's what I kind of feel like what's happening. I feel like the awards are catching up to the impact of the work that I've been doing. And it's like, you know, because for for years, you know, you have many times where people are like, you know, saying, oh, this work may be recognized with some award in some way. And then it doesn't happen. And it's like, I don't want to, you know, that to be part of my um, career or thoughts that it's about that. But let me tell you, it sure is nice when it does happen. And for me, mm-hmm. to be very honest, when I got the Emmy nomination the other day, I actually um, got a little teary because, and I realized as I recognized it, I don't even, it wasn't even for myself. I think it was for everyone who poured into me, who wanted this for me, who, who wants that amplification. Cause they're like, you should be recognized. Your work should be recognized. The, the character, the role, the show. And so I felt like I know it's for the people who give me a lift, who believe in my work, And uh, I think it's not only for me, but it's really a lot of it is for them because I have so many people who pour love into what I do.
3: I love that. It's not about the award. It's about the reward. What are some examples of that impact that you have seen come to fruition?
2: Uh, Some of the greatest uh, impact has been through letters of uh, testimony from people who have been affected by the character of Ali and Euphoria. Um, For those that may not know, Ali is truly the... um, I don't know, sort of the uh, moral compass of euphoria, uh, when the world is spinning off its axis, and our central protagonist, played by beautifully by Zendaya, her character Rue, uh, you know, Ali comes in for accountability, some gallows humor, for some um, perspective, and uh, he holds our our uh, addict accountable. He's a recovering addict himself, and um, I, when I tell you the impact has been extraordinary because I get letters from people saying, you know, you saved my life or you, you made me feel like I wasn't alone. Um, I, I had an Ali in my life. Uh, you helped me understand my son. I got one of the most incredible notes that I actually shared with, um, uh, Zendaya and Sam Levinson, our, our showrunner, writer and director, producer, because it was so impactful. I, it, I think it just, it leveled me. This young woman said, uh, my mother suffered from um, the disease of addiction for many years, and I was so, always so angry at her. And eventually, her disease took her away, took her off this planet. And she said, through the show and through uh, the impact of Ali in particular, I start to understand my mother and forgive her. And wow, I get emotional thinking about it. And because you, <laughs> forgiveness, redemption is all a part of the show. And I think that's what my character offers. It's at a time when we need that, when we're people are being saying if they're do awful things that they have no way to come back. And I think our show and our characters saying that everyone has an opportunity with a, with accountability and with love and grace to come back into the fold to say that people are people. And you know what I mean? Yes. I think any actor worth the grain of salt you really hope for that. You feel like you're actually like changing lives. You're actually doing something that's. Um, you know, which is healing, which is having an impact in our society. I think that's why I got into this, this work. Um, I wanted to be a journalist and I think I'm still doing that journalistic work of like, you know, shining a
3: light on our humanity. I'm just doing it in a different medium. Coleman, it's really, I thought you would be this way. You have a very Hmm. unique kind of spiritual groundedness to you. Um, And I'm curious what you think about this, because I want to dig into that, about forgiveness and redemption. I had some challenges growing up with my family, with my father. There was a little bit of domestic violence involved in my family. And I think working through those challenges, I finally got to a place where I felt like I could forgive, because I had to learn how to forgive myself because of mistakes I had made.
2: I had to deal with that with my own um, father. My father was, uh, he was not, he was a very complicated man. My, I, I have his name, Coleman Domingo. Um, he was, uh, uh, by all accounts, he was uh, a Lothario. <laughs> <laughs> he just, <laughs> uh, women, he loved things, you know, he was not, he wasn't a great father. Uh, but but my, my, my dad, before he passed away, um, he, I sent him a letter. That I didn't have any sort of relationship with him, like nothing. So I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel love. I didn't feel hate. I didn't feel anything. But I wanted to understand that he was a man, that he was human, and he was on his journey on on this planet. And I wanted to let him know, I wanted to make sure before he passed away that he knew that I, I, I understood that. That he was human. He was doing the best he could with what he was given. I have to look at, you have to look at history of someone's trauma and like why a person's actually doing what they're doing. It's not always about us. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think the healthy thing is it's not about me the way that I'd be a good dad, the dad that I wanted him to be. But I'd understand he was a human being and he had his own trauma that he was dealing with. Once you understand that, you understand it's just human. And I'm like, brother, I I send you peace. I send you joy, light, and laughter. And just know that I I thank you and I have gratitude for you uh, giving me your name, giving me um, a chance on this planet. And I wish you well on your next part of your journey. And I think that, and, and I wanted to feel, I don't even know what, what I said, st- even just talking about it, it's not. It's more complicated than just feeling love. Because I think love when people say, I love you, it's very kind of easy. Hmm. It's something more complicated. It's like, no, I have some gratitude and I have some understanding.
3: And I think that's more human. Coleman, I want to dig into something because uh, there's so much complexity to it. And I've met so many people that have given their name to their child but during your formative years, having the same name as your father and obviously carrying that weight because of that missing relationship with him, how did you navigate that?
2: Uh, that's a great question. My dad was always shrouded in mystery. I knew um, certain things about him, that he's from Belize, that he, he would come and go. because was when my mom and um, dad parted when I was about eight, but he would show up on occasion um, maybe they parted when I was about seven because he would come back here and there, but he would come back as, you know, that dad, he would come back with um, a yellow Cadillac and he always wore all white. He was very much a um, Latin American man. He, he was, um, he had this beautiful accent and he was very uh, charming. And my mother, I could tell my mother would almost, was so, almost despised it when he came in because he was such a, he was that dad. He was, he was like kind of flashy and beautiful and, give money and things like that. But then he would go away. He would go away to uh, Baltimore for a while. But it was all this mystery. Yet I had this name, this very unusual name, Coleman Domingo. And I couldn't even explain that name. And uh, (laughs) you know what I mean? Uh, You know, I wanted to be named like John or Joe or even Joaquin. You know, I was like, Coleman Domingo. People were like, what is that?
1: Coming up, Coleman Domingo on adapting his original one-man play into a new animated short that's already winning awards. Stay with us.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Coleman domingo has one of the widest ranges i've ever seen he can do it all guys he can play heroes villains he can write direct produce he can go big and also very small and do it very intimately and we're about to hear about a new film that he wrote and played every role in it just so happens to be animated with an animation team that he met during the pandemic remotely talk about trust and intuition and based on the awards they're already getting it's paying off back to the show You dig deep into a complex personality in a lot of your characters, but you also have a there's an animated side to you, too. And I, I want to transition for a second to, you know, the Outfest L.A. is happening now. You're presenting a new animated short film there. It's called New Moon. Yeah, it's an adapted from your play, A Boy and His Soul. Mm-hmm. You played all the roles for the filming and then your team animated over the frames. I. First off, you are so damn talented oh man uh, thank you that's it, it's a, from somebody that's in this industry understanding how challenging it is to do all those things that you're doing I, I just I applaud you for that but I, I'm curious what effect does animation bring to this very personal story for you? Well, you
2: know it, it was something I was uh, very curious about because uh, people have been wanting me to do my solo show again and I did it back in like 2008 or something you. It was off Broadway and in London and Australia. And, but I always thought it lived in a different space because it's a very imaginative story just about um, Black mothers and sons and the impact that they have on their boys. This was like uh, what? Um, July of 2020. And we all know what that was like. That was you know, fires burning in the street and um, COVID. And um, I wanted to create something that was about love mm-hmm. and something that really talked about who we are and our imagination and our souls and what, the kind of music that moves us because that's what the solo show was about. So I started to investigate this form of animation and I reached out to Matthew A. Cherry, who um, has a beautiful short that won the Oscar for Hair Love. Mm-hmm. And he gave me some advice and he said, "You know, start researching animators that you love. Start looking at all animation. And then he said, there's no right way to go about it. So I just, so me and my my partner in crime, who's also happens to be my husband, who runs our company, Raul, we're like, let's go, let's start researching and see what's up. So we reached out to these fantastic animators. Um, they're located in Lyon, France. And their animation was so dope because I, I saw one about James Baldwin, who is my personal hero. Love girl. James Baldwin. Love him. Right. And they did one for his TEDx. Um, there was a TED talk one just on with Baldwin, it was animation. And their line work was beautiful. It felt kind of classic and old school. It wasn't slick. And so I reached out to these dudes, um, Jeremy and Jeff. And I said, hey, I have this idea. We sent the script uh, that Raul and I adapted together. We're like, hey, would you be interested in going down the road with us and seeing what this is about? They loved it. They understood the soul of it. And so I, like, I, I've never been in the room with these guys still. and two and a half years. We have done everything online. Uh, Raúl did all the rotoscopy, which is actually, uh, after they storyboarded, he actually shot every frame of me being the characters. Uh, I played my mother, I play myself, and I play, the, uh, play myself as nine years old. And we did all of that. Whether, wherever I was, wherever I was shooting, mm-hmm. it was hours and hours. Wherever I was, we were like set up, he'd set up cameras, direct me, um, I would put on a headscarf be my mom. I would be a little version of me. I would dance. We would set things up on a skateboard. Uh, the whole opening passage is done with a, a skateboard going along the side of my house. And I'm dancing by my fence. It, it's all, and we get notes from the animator. So we created it like that and we invested our own money. I decided to, I've always been someone who, um, has no problem, um, investing in myself. And so we took our salaries actually from, um, from our production company that we paid ourselves with. Um we paid ourselves in a very very modest way. Um, but we the film basically cost about eighty-five thousand dollars mm. for a nine or an eleven minute short. And I remember my business manager, my manager were like, Are you go, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> and I said, Yeah, I have an idea about this. And I didn't know where it was gonna go after that. I just wanted to create this thing that I thought would be a bomb, would be um a love letter to West Philly and black mothers and sons. And, and I thought, I just want to put that into the world. I don't know how. So we finished it in March. And then we shared it with our close family and friends. And everyone was sort of moved, so moved by it. They said, So what happens now? And I didn't know. I just wanted to do that. So, uh, they said, you should, um, we talked to our teams and we're like, they said, how about the film festival circuit? Get it out there that way. And then Matthew H. He even said, he said, I think, he said, I think this has a chance for an Oscar. And I was like, wow, I didn't know all that. I just wanted to create something beautiful.
3: I love when I see like pure art that, that derives from passion and I have issues. I'll openly state this to you. When I hear people that get involved in business with family members or their significant others, I always get a little bit tense and it's, it's a little bit of my own story because as a former athlete, I can't tell you how many times, you know, when when I got drafted, it wasn't I got drafted. It wasn't I made it. It was we made it. It, it came yeah, with a lot, right? And it changes the complexity of relationships. My mother and my father were still my mother and my father, but all of a sudden, we worked together. I was paying their salary. It was a, it was a different dynamic that I think at a young age for me, I really wasn't ready for. And I... You and your husband having a business together in Raul, have you guys had conversations about how you deal business-wise together? And is that separate from your out-of-work relationship? How do you guys navigate that?
2: Well, it's funny because Raul, he he was already taking um, a very creative uh, position in my career. We've been together for 17 years. And he's always someone who I had read first scripts of and give me notes and so, say, you know, and it's always the notes that are the hardest notes. It's because it's like, he wants me to be excellent. He would say, I think you should do another pass with that. He wouldn't even give me direct notes. He would just really instruct me on how to, you know, Hey, that's great. Or if I, I'll bring to him casting ideas and talk about things if I'm, I'm directing something. And I really respect him because he's really about the work. He came from the the fashion world actually in the costume design world. And he's very much, a, an, he has an editor's brain. So I really mm-hmm. respect his mind. And like, you know, we have, he's not a yes person. We 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 go in on it, but we also know how to like, he's, he's my best friend. You know, we know how to just like laugh and we have a great partnership. And I think that we also know how to unplug and not bring it into different spaces. We know when mm-hmm. to let it go and just be, there are times when I've even said, I said, well, you know, I think I want to take you off this project because it's going to be too intense and I need you to be my husband. Wow. (laughs) You know know what I mean? I don't need you. And like, we're we're producing a film that I'm about to go and do an independent film with uh, some other partners. And they're wondering, and Raul said, I'm actually going to be the partner that stays at home and does my work from home instead of being on set with you. I need you to be the actor there and the the other producer there. So we we figured it out and balanced the, the way we need it.
3: That's really impressive that you guys can be that direct with one another and and still be able to work through that. A lot of people have a, That obviously this shows why you guys have a special relationship because a lot of people would have a difficult time if they told their significant other, you know, I need you to unplug and I need you to not be involved in this particular project for somebody that's had a history of being involved in pretty much all your projects. Yeah, you know what? I think it, the, at the end of the
2: day, more than anything, we really try to get to the core of, um, I, again, maybe this is a conversation we had about, Five years ago, we had this great conversation where we had to continue to do the work to understand that what you have to look at a person and assess what their needs are, and it has nothing to do with you. You have to constantly take yourself out of the equation. Everything doesn't have to do with you. What do you need? Who are you right now? Because your partner is going to evolve, and you have to be, and someone told me that years ago, you have to be on the journey to know that your partner is going to evolve, and if they evolve outside of you in some way, you have to be prepared for that. You can't hold on to a person. What you can do is be as sincere and as honest and as open as possible and say, this is who I am today, which is different than yesterday.
3: That's incredible. Yeah. You know? Where does your inspiration come from Coleman? Mm-hmm. Like where, where do you, cause you seem like you have a deep well of it. I think it's a lot of things.
2: One thing I'm very in tune with nature. I need sunlight. I need plants and gardens. I need swimming, I need hikes, I need people. I am a person who needs people. I'm a social (laughs) creature. I love hosting. I love taking care of people. I love cooking. I love talking about architecture. Um, I think I'm inspired by really just living this life. Um, I I think, I bring it back to my my family. I come from a a family like who we didn't have much. Just a, a working class family in Philly. But when I tell you I, I was talking about so much love and joy um, and people who cared about other people, I come from some really good people. And I think, I don't know, It's, it's was it because of like, both my parents passed away, uh, my mom and my stepfather who raised me in 2006. Uh-huh. And I knew that I had every all of the love that they gave me. And my mother's name is Edith, which is the name of my production mm-hmm. company. Um it's beautiful. I just really wanted to pour love into everything and to really live this life. And it's not, and again, it's not even for myself. I have to live it for them. I have to do everything that they wanted me to do that I want to do and make an impact and and leave this world a little better in some way by what I'm doing as a creative. And that's it. If I do that, I know I've told somebody, a friend of mine this last week, I said, I know for sure. If I close my eyes tonight, God forbid, and it was over, you will know that I live my, my best life every day don't i don't wait
3: i know this is probably a very difficult question for you to answer but what do you think edith your mom would say to you right now about the journey you've had since her passing in 2006. oh jay man i and I, I ask you that because you know i've been on the i've been on the custom. i talked about this mm. um You know, my mom's been in hospital for three and a half months now and it's been extremely tough and she's gone through a lot. And, uh, you know, Mm. I, I often think about, you know, what my life will be without my parents. And, um, I don't know, sorry. I hope I didn't cross the line by asking you that, but
2: no, no, you didn't cross the line. I mean, as, as you get to know me already, it's like, I'm an open book, but I tell you, brother, this is what I, the only thing I know is that my love, my mother loved me so much, um, even if even if she didn't understand me at times or what was happening or what was going, she always believes I can do anything. She she poured in me a, a a sense of myself in the world. And I know that's what people see. The way I walk into a room, the way I dress, the way I create, the way I lead a room. It's a lot of what my mother and my stepfather poured into me. Hmm. I know my mom would be very proud. My mother had so many big dreams for me. And I think the dreams that I didn't even possibly have for myself. I remember my mother wrote Oprah six times. (laughs) And I was so annoyed with her. I was like, mom, why are you doing that? She said, oh, you know, Oprah helps people. She can help you. Yeah. All she needs to know is she said, "I I want you to work with Spike Lee. I want you to work with Spielberg. They all should know you. They should know what I see. And, um, I thought she's being a mom. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Oprah don't care nothing about me. Now Oprah's a dear friend. And now I've worked with Spielberg and Lee Daniels and
3: taught you how to manifest it. I mean, that's what you have to do.
2: She did. She actually helped me see what I couldn't see. She, I, I start to believe what she believed. You know, so I think that's the impact of a, a, a great parent. And I know that that love lasts. Somebody asked somebody, my friend Melissa told me the most important thing when my mother passed because I was bereft, man. I was, I was not well. And she told me, I said, what am I going to do? All I knew, what I really knew about myself was that I was a really good son. I was a great son. I prided myself in being a great son. And she said, well, you know what you're going to do, Coleman? You're going to take that love and put it into everything you do. And into everyone that you know. And man. Um, I'm sorry, man. i just, it's, it's a really, it's an emotional week because I've done so many, there's so many incredible things that have happened this week. Um, and things that are bigger than what I imagined for myself. Um, and I know it's because of my mother's love and I know that she'll be very proud. I, I wear her name. I have a tattoo on my arm. I, I love that my production company's named Edith, so I can say her name all the time. Um, that's what you do. That's what you do with uh, that love. That love does last. I didn't know it would last like this, but it does. And it's every single day. It's all the time. And I know what I'm doing it for.
1: Up next, Coleman Domingo on playing a villain in the film adaptation of The Color Purple musical produced by Oprah Winfrey. Plus, some advice for young Black people trying to break into the entertainment industry. Stick around.
3: Bowman always has a lot of projects up in the air all at the same time, including acting in the upcoming film Adaptation of the Color Purple musical produced by the incomparable Oprah Winfrey. He plays the film's villain, Mr. And for such a sweet and kind human being, I had to know what it was like to go to such a dark place. In your upcoming role in The Color Purple, you got a chance to spend some time with Auntie Oprah. As I like the caller,
2: I wrapped it uh, night before last at five thirty in the morning and I flew back to l a which is why I think i'm still i'm just emotionally just available right now
3: so take take me there I mean like one of the most iconic movies to ever exist, and it's such a deep, deep thing. Just tell me what that experience was like overall.
2: Oprah said in particular that um the, this film, this experience with, uh, Alice Walker's words will change our lives. She said that very clearly. She said, it's changed mine. She said it's part of the legacy of, uh, it's, it's Alice Walker's ancestors that are so ingrained in her book, which is why the book, how it's lived in many forms, and that's living in a musical feature form, uh, with me playing Mister. And Fantasia said this the other day. She says, you know, I've been, I thought about how much I've been going through playing the role of Celia and then I had to think about you, Coleman. She said, because you're such a sweet, sweet person and you've had to, you had to play this terrifying, abusive role, but you also took care of me. She said, I didn't realize the kind of um, arms you had. Cause I knew that I had to put love around this. I had to, you know, I know I've been the, tasked in a great way by Oprah and Steven Spielberg and Alice Walker and then Quincy Jones to be the, uh, to help be the uh, leader of this. And, I, and that's what I did. I, I know I led this production with all the love and grace that I could and just to make sure everyone was doing their best because it felt like we have a huge responsibility. And I know I was ready for it. To me, it really is, it's, it's very different, and unique when it, we're, we're shooting on plantations, we're shooting on with all this black trauma and I'm playing the center of the trauma in many ways, the, of the one who's the abuser. And um, we had to just go to some really dark places and some really beautiful places. And I think it's made us all very close. You know, I have Fantasia and Taraji P. Henson and Corey Hawkins and Daniel Brooks. And, you know, it's just a beautiful, beautiful cast led um, by Blitz Bazzuela, who's a beautiful director. I think we gave it our best and did, did everything we were supposed to. I know it's gonna be one of the most visually stunning films I think I have ever seen. And I know that uh, Blitz gave us so much room to not only bring ourselves, but bring in our families. We don't have to, I think the majority of the cast, am I right, are all African-American. So mm-hmm. it was required for us to just go into our our uh, families and our
3: history of being Black in America and bring them in. Okay, I'm gonna go in here because um, I think my daughter's gonna act. Like, I can't make this up, Coleman. She's about term four in October. Her name is Amelia Brooklyn Rose Williams. And she, wow, well, that's you. You did it by that name. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> I'll, maybe maybe I'm manifesting it. Maybe I'm speaking that into existence. I don't know. But I, you have such a light about you. Right? you automatically came on the screen when we spoke. Thank you. First meeting. The adaptation of getting to a place that is dark and being a true character and translating that anger and that misunderstanding and that pain, where do you even find that place? Because I don't, I don't sense any ounce of that in you as a person.
2: Hmm. I think I choose the light. We all choose the light. You can choose darkness too. It's very human. I have darkness, deep wells of darkness in me, I think. But the choice every morning is to wake up, to set, set my course for the light and to be love in
3: the world. But Koma, that's exactly my point. That's a choice that people make. I know I make it every single day. It's easy for me to think about I'm walking with a lamp. But when you have to go to a dark place and stay in that dark place, how did you How you even get there first off? And then how do you pull yourself out and then go back in to pull yourself back out? That's That seems like a strenuous Tiring, exhausting type of process.
2: It is, and so the 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 way I had to set myself up is I had to understand at the core of nista is that he's a broken human being. He's me if things didn't work out, if I didn't achieve my dream, if dreams, if I was at that place, at that mid place in my career where I was constantly bartending and not getting jobs, and and my parents were both dying, and I had nothing. He's that guy where I could have made the choice to say. At all. And to to go to the darkness. It could be darkness within myself. Baldwin would always talk about it. Go look for the light. There's always light and darkness. I naturally go there, but I do know I have a lot of darkness in me as well. I think dark thoughts like everybody else. So I think that like I could tap into that stuff. And I think those things are all the complicated things that you help to build a character. You don't just think that he's a bad guy or terrible or abusive. You think all the complicated stuff. You think that he's hurt, that someone didn't love him, that he wasn't given affection, that he wasn't given understanding. That stuff creates darkness. That's the nature. So what I hope to have given to this character Mister is a real complex depiction of him. And for you to understand that he is actually human and he's broken and he's hurting. And that's why hurt people hurt people. This is how I understand the character. This is my way into the character. Not just saying he's terrible and awful, but I want you to understand and also be seduced by it. My challenge is like for you to be a seduced by a Mister and think he could have been a good guy. He could have been a loving guy. He could have been a generous guy. But because of the way he is in the world, maybe a Black man in the world at that time, trying to have access and agency in his life and didn't have it, and it turned to darkness. That's interesting. That's complicated.
3: It, it seems like... A- And I know in each human being, there is such a range, right? Range from experiences to personality traits, Mm -hmm. but your ability to tap into different ranges and parts of who you are and really let those parts blossom is beyond amazing to me because your range is a villain on fear, the walking dead, to being a narcotics anonymous sponsor on euphoria, to a pimp in Zola. Do you take any small pieces of these characters with you as you move forward in your own persona? I'm sure I do in some way.
2: It's funny, I think that, but they all live in me in some way. Maybe that's why I'm I'm, I'm attracted to certain characters. And, and usually it's something about the character that I'm curious about. It's a, it usually it's not an easy character. There's always something a little weird or off about this character and I'm not I'm attracted to. So even like Zola, I had to find out where was the pimp that lived in me? <laughs> where was the pimp that lived in you? <laughs> there, there's a pimp in me somewhere. Apparently, apparently, and he's, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I like to just build such a complicated character with whatever character that is, and I do take a little bit of each character I think with me. But I think I also pour. It always comes from me. They're always they're in me somewhere, um, and uh, I don't know. I think that they they. I I was always a kid who sort of watched everyone because I had a lisp growing up, so I didn't speak a lot because I was being teased and I wore my brothers and sisters hand me down clothing. So, you know, I'm running around with like pink pro kids. I wasn't a cool kid. So I watched things a lot. And so, but I think because I watched and listened, I, I was able, I think that's what I look at now. I think I was able to tap into
3: people because so I watched everyone. I didn't talk about it. I watched. It's a superhuman power. Um, you know, in an interview in W Magazine, you mentioned how black actors are often pigeonholed mm. in a certain version of themselves in a the film. What's your advice for young black actors who want to disrupt this process, just as you have? What a great question.
2: What I like to say to young black actors in particular is to have a true sense of who you are and in this, in this business. And that, that only comes from, that comes from study. That comes from interrogation that comes from understanding the landscape of our industry as well, is not just all creative, a lot of it's business as well. Like I love the fact that I play play pimps and I play civil rights leaders, you name it. I think that that's that's interesting to me. I've never been interested in playing a version of myself. Mm. I'm a character actor, craftsman. I would say I've always admired people like Christian Bale or Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, and I've always wanted to be like them. And and I never thought, and I didn't understand why there weren't a lot of Black actors that you can say compared to them. And I know that I've been becoming that. Because also, but like, I've made choices, you know, and I've made choices whether if something wasn't there to create the role. So that's what I would say to uh, really expand your breadth and vision of what not only the character is about what you're putting out to the world, I just take it on as a, that's part of my responsibility as a creative Um, and also how we do it and who we invite into it. I think I've always been a businessman in that way. I've always had my own theater companies and, um, you know, I I would have a theater company and have, you know, $500 to produce something. I've always done it like that since I started in this industry 32 years ago. So I think that we always have to um, take chances on ourselves and not wait for opportunities, we have to create the opportunities, whether it's writing them, whether it's producing them, whether it's directing them. Um, And not only just about stuff that we're in, I think we have to have a, uh, I know that I have a consciousness of like, once I started my production company, I think people asked me, what was it gonna be sort of like this, <laughs> lack of a better word, sort of egocentric production company where it's just about things for me. I'm like, no, I wanna create things for others and to make sure things are there. You know, projects about women and about, you know, you know uh, characters that I like to see it's not about me I don't ha- I can just produce it you know? <laughs> you know what I mean you have to have that spirit I think especially as a black person in this industry I've never had the luxury to just want do one thing
3: mm-hmm.
2: that's maybe that's the first time I've ever said that people ask why I do so many things and in so many different mediums it's because I wanted to stay in it and I wanted to mm-hmm. do work and I want to create and no one can tell you not to create no one can tell you not to create. So just create the thing and don't wait. <sighs> I,
3: so I'm, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper here on this one. Obviously some things have been occurring as relates to the Supreme court rulings that have sparked a lot of conversation, <laughs> abortion rights and things of that sort. But there's even talk of future legal changes like bans on same sex marriage. You've been married to your husband since 2014. Mm-hmm. Do you worry that union could become illegal again, at least in some parts of the country, which is so damn disturbing?
2: Am I worried? I'm not worried. I don't know why I'm not, but I'm not worried. I'm like, what are you going to do? This is part of our, who we are right now in history. We've always known that this country is so fragile and and it's dominated by fragile white male egos. <laughs> you know what I mean? That are trying, you know, and then, you know, they, they, They're trying to control things that they cannot control. I truly know that these 18 year olds that are going to be getting out there to vote, they, we just got to get, we just got to empower them and let them know that they, you have, you have a choice. You actually,
3: your vote actually, you can actually do something. What role, Coleman, do you see as art being part of the process for that change? Huge. Huge.
2: How? We, we, we really create such impact because listen, with television, with films, with theater, Especially with TV, we're in your living rooms every single day. You know, we're showing, you know, why does a show like Queer Eye, why is that so successful now? And wh- how has that changed the narrative and how people are? RuPaul's Drag Race, you, you name it. What, you know, like you know, more shows about, you know, women and women and their, their honest struggles and, and their complexities. This is the way we change minds, actually, because we're with you every single week and in your living room. You know what I mean? You'll, you'll change the way you feel about, um, Women's reproductive rights, about you know, gay couples and and marriages. You'll see that my marriage is just as, as probably, probably even more normal.
1: (laughs) You know, yeah, we have
2: very sort of like perfunctory. We're married, yeah. We just you know we do things together. We do what everybody else does. What's the problem? Yeah, yeah. And and we we pay our taxes, and we do. We're good citizens and good human beings. What's the problem? Because you don't believe in it. If you don't believe in it, don't get married to a same-sex person, then. But I know? I've always been a person. I'm not a person that marches out in the streets. I'm just not that person. I am like the, the I would say the the people like the, the Ralph Ellison's or you know where I use my mm-hmm. pen. I use my access. To what I can do here. I know I can donate money to this uh, this clinic. I know I can make. A, I can purchase a bathroom that's for you know uh, all sexes. I know I can do things. I know what I can do. I know what I can do here and how can affect change. Right around me, that's the most. I think that's very powerful because I'm like, if I'm wor- worried about this, somebody that's worried about this, we all win. Then it's bigger. But I can't worry about all the big picture stuff. I'm like, let me affect what I can affect in my in my communities, in my neighborhoods. You know?
3: Please keep leading. Please keep informing. Please keep having open forums of discussion so people can participate. Because it's not only in your art, it's, it's in your energy. You know, and I go back to that line by Denzel Washington. It's not about the award, it's about the reward. And the reward that I hear from you in our conversation today is so much about the process and being able to articulate that process. And that's so helpful. Coleman, I, 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 I can't applaud you enough for all your successes, but honestly, they pale in comparison to the person you are. And I appreciate you giving me and our audience the time today to learn more about who that person is. Thank you, man. Thanks, Jay. This has been really, really wonderful. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you to our friends at The Limits with Jay Williams. This episode was produced by Devin Schwartz, Mano Sandarison, and Lena Sensgiri. The intern is Danielle Soto. The executive producers are Karen Kenny, Verilyn Williams, and Yolanda Sanguini. Additional production and editing came from Janet Ujung Lee and Jessica Mendoza. Listeners, take care of yourselves. We are back on Friday. I'm Anna Sale. Talk soon.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Lisa. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit Lisa.com to learn more. That's L-E-E-S-A A.com.
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. All that sitting and swiping...